0: Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Nick Feldman. Nick is uh, the author of the Mina Davis series and the frequent host of the Seattle Noir at the Bar events, which are always fun. Uh, Intelligent guy, and I had a great conversation with him, so we can look forward to that. I am sitting here today on a very gray Oregon day. It's usually quite bright here in Central Oregon, but it's pretty gray today. And I am joined by Richie and Wiley, my faithful doggy riding companions, and Pasta the Cat, who will probably make his displeasure known at any moment uh, in a way that I will be unable to edit out. So hopefully that doesn't occur. Uh, and, um, we're all four here to remind you that Wrong Place, Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of which resides at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. Uh, so if that's your bag, you need to go to downandoutbooks.com to check them out. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, .com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. And now, let's meet Nick Feldman. Well, hey, Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Frank. You know, I wanted to start by talking a little bit about um, my first real experience with you. I mean, I I met you at Left Coast Crime, so there's that. But um, shortly after that, a few months after that, uh, you had Colin Conway and I over to Seattle for Noir at the Bar. Which you host down in the Alibi Room, which is absolutely the greatest place for an at the bar I've ever could ever imagine.
1: Couldn't ask for a better name.
0: <laughs> well, and the setting is really cool. It's dark. It's a basement. There's a huge wood and there's brick and anyway, but uh, you know all these authors are milling around. Nobody, you know, some people know each other, some people don't. It's your typical scene or whatever. And instead of doing like most. Uh, masters of ceremony do and hey everybody we're going to get started if you'll take your seat you know hi I'm Nick that kind of thing all of a sudden the mic goes live and you just start reading this really really evocative vignette uh you know about a guy you know a detective sitting at a bar and and what he's going through and and, and so forth and it was just it was a super cool way to open a a program like that and it was so well written i i have to ask you is have you done anything else with that or is that basically the life that that piece lives
1: no i haven't I, uh, I i whip up one of those for every show we have a show every three months and it's um sort of designed for two reasons one it's my way of booking myself without eating up too much mic time I made a decision that I wasn't going to book myself at least not for the first year or two for a reading slot. Uh, so on, on the one hand this lets me kind of cheat that and do a little, you know, three minute piece, uh, while every, you know, before everybody else does their pieces. And the other thing it does that I think is helpful is, uh, it lets me one, set the tone, but two, it also lets, uh, I eat the cold room, right? You know, p- people sometimes don't want to go first. People don't want to have to kind of call the audience to attention and, you know, since I'm doing kind of a nothing piece and I'm going to be there all night as the MC anyway, I don't mind going first and um, eating the chill as it were. So it it works out um, and it's fun and I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I'd say you gobbled that chill right up. I mean, it uh, it was very attention grabbing and it was extraordinarily well-written and uh, just, just the imagery was great and the, the metaphors were awesome. And, uh, and uh, I remember talking to Colin about it on the, on the way out of town the next day and that was very very much one of the highlights of the of the night for both of us
1: oh wow that's extremely flattering thank you
0: but you're not just the MC of the the bars in the seattle area although you you, you do, do do that um but you're the author of the mina davis series um and i noticed that mina davis is co- uh, co-authored or at least collaborated with uh lasandra silber
1: she is the cover artist. Okay, um, there you go. She's a she's a saint. She she's not involved in the writing. Okay. Um when she's feeling really generous, sometimes she'll read the copy before it goes out and tell me if it sucks. But uh, <laughs> no, she does those she does those covers and she actually does the uh posters for Noir at the Bar. Oh, those
0: are nice-looking posters.
1: She is extremely talented. Uh and just good people and I I um but you know, I felt like, you know, cover artists never get credit. And I don't know why, you know, it's uh, a lot of people who pick that book up, probably pick it up because of her work as much as because of mine.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It used to be that uh, I felt like the title was what would grab people's attention first because all of the books at the bookstore, you know, a lot of them are turned sideways and you're looking at the spine as you're, as you're perusing. Uh, So the title is at least as important as the cover perhaps, but uh, I'd say that's gone by the wayside and, While a good title is clearly always going to be important, I think that the cover art is the clear number one uh, attention grabber in today's world, especially with the, you know, advent of of everything being so digital.
1: I think it's definitely true in the digital world with the advent of the Kindle and the Nook and everything. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned titles being a selling point, and that was certainly my approach with the last book I put out where I came up with what I thought was a really good title that ended up completely shooting me in the foot uh, from a marketing perspective. My last book was called Asshole Yakuza Boyfriend. It's pretty cleanly, I'd argue, the best book I've put out. I don't think it's the best book I've written, but you know, there's always the behind-the-scenes reasons why that book's not out or this book is. Anyway, uh, I was really proud of that title. Everyone who hears that title likes that title. I know people who've picked the book up because of that title, but I also can't advertise on Amazon or Facebook or you know, any number of other platforms because it's got, it's got a swear in it.
0: Yeah. I wonder if there's a way around that. I wonder if you could make a graphic adaptation of the title and like slap a censored label across the word or something.
1: And then so show we copy. tried a couple things. The first thing we did was we, we, we did ass with an at sign and $2 signs. That didn't work. Then we tried censoring it and that kind of worked. And what we ultimately ended up doing for the marketing push. And I'm you know, this was better than nothing, but I would have been better off giving it a different title as we just, we just cut that title entirely and put Mina Davis too on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get into ah. Mina Davis, but first, uh, I, you know, I was, uh, pretty Im- impressed with your, uh, short bio here on Amazon. I thought I would share it with the listeners. Oh, uh, it says Nick Feldman writes books about tough women, drunk men, and people who wish they were in Humphrey Bogart movies. When he's not doing that, he enjoys tough women, whiskey, and Bumfrey Bogart movies. He has made a celebrity cry, and he hopes to one day punch Kanye West right in his stupid face. So I'm going to work backwards here. So why is Kanye West's face stupid and deserve to be punched?
1: So the Kanye thing, and I did not realize that was still up there, and it's probably not age gracefully. But when I wrote that description, it was right after Kanye had come out with his interview where he was... Uh, I'm a proud non-reader. I don't know what books ever did for anybody. And kind of (laughs) proselytizing the idea that books are bullshit and that people shouldn't waste their time. And I'm sitting there thinking like, hey man, not everyone is born a musical idiot savant who can just kind of ride this one thing they're good at to fame and fortune. Books are maybe good for some of your audience even. Shut the fuck up. That makes sense. He has not given me a reason to change that <laughs> that blurb yet, even if that blurbs, you know, uh, sort of inciting incident has been lost to the sands of time.
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because uh, the way the world works, because here we are on a crime fiction podcast uh, talking about him. So um, but uh, yeah, he, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Uh,
0: who, who did you make cry? And how'd that
1: happen? Uh, that that's that's a story that does not reflect super well on me. And probably I'm not going to say who it was for a variety of reasons. Uh, I met a celebrity when I was in high school who was at a school event um, as a guest of one of my classmates. And this celebrity could not grasp the concept that I didn't know who they were. And I legitimately didn't. Uh, and this escalated really more than it should have. Um, and I, I called that celebrity a pretty awful name and they didn't take it well. <laughs> I was also in a pretty bad mood already that day. The girl I wanted to be there with was there with somebody else. Yada, yada, yada. But,
0: uh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will totally respect your anonymity there, but uh, there's there's got to be a good story in the background there. I hope to hear sometime.
1: Yeah, it, it's a bar story when I feel like embarrassing myself. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I think the uh, the rest of the the bio speaks for itself. Uh, so let's let's get into Mina Davis. Tell me who Mina Davis is.
1: So Mina is interesting that she ended up being the character that's kind of most associated with my career and the person I spend most of my time with. And that when I came up with Mina, she wasn't supposed to be a detective, and she wasn't even really supposed to be the main character. Uh, maybe. Eight or nine years ago, I was writing a book called Dueling Cyrano's, which was going to be a literary novel. And the premise was basically, uh, if you're familiar with C- Cyrano de Bergerac, and for um, for anybody in the audience who might not be, the basic premise is there's a ugly, brilliant man, or at least he's he ugly, who's in love with a woman. And then he meets this handsome, less brilliant man who's also in love with her. And he thinks that she deserves the handsome man, so he writes you know, love comes for him and really whispers in his ear and gives him all of the tools to romance this woman um, mm-hmm. while loving her from afar. And I, I love that story. It's one of my favorite plays. There's a great Steve, modern version Steve, of it uh, called uh, Roxanne with mm-hmm. Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, uh, who was the girl in that? He, oh boy. In the Martin one. Yeah. Rick uh, Rossovich
0: was the pretty boy. The she's guy.
1: blonde. Oh boy. I'm going to get this wrong if I guess. So I'm not going to guess it's, it, it's, kind of the, the the germ of dueling Cyrano's was this idea that okay I love that story what's a way to do it what if there's two sets of them so I had uh this woman this female character who was sort of the uh, I think her name was Jasmine who was the object of desire for four characters where there was this kind of alcoholic restauranteur who's too old for her and knows it but he's got this handsome bust she thinks is cute that the total doofus who he's trying to kind of mentor. And then on the the other side, there is this, you know, one of her classmates at college who's very in love with her, but kind of has no character who through dumb luck meets this sort of washed up mobster who is also enamored with her, but doesn't think he deserves her and kind of serves as his sort of influence. And kind of these two competing gambits was the, 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 uh, the core premise. But Mina was the main character's best friend and the narrator. She was supposed to be this kind of shy character who plays sort of the Ishmael and witnesses most of the events. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the story, there's something that happens that sort of turns her into the Mina we know today, but that was never planned initially. And I wasn't planning to do anything with her really after that book, but what happened was I was writing this book by hand and the bag that the manuscript was in got stolen when I was maybe 130, 140 pages in. Uh, So never finished the book, just didn't have it in me to go back and start from scratch. What are you, Henry uh, Wadsworth
0: Longfellow over here? <laughs> I don't write by hand anymore. I'll tell you that. Oh, <laughs> <I'll>
1: bet. So, <laughs> lesson you only really got to learn one. That's um, a painful one, brother. That's a painful one. That one stung. I can't be too pissed about it. In that, you know, the stuff that I've done with Mina is probably a bit more marketable than what I was than what dueling Cyrano's would have been. But anyway, about a year later, I was trying to deal with a pretty bad bout or writer's block. I'd, I, I had just been through. Uh, I was in an apartment fire. Um, I guess, nine years ago now, and it really screwed up my life, and I was trying to get back into writing after that, uh, and I couldn't get anything going, and so I was just kind of going through my mental Rolodex of characters that I wasn't using for anything, and so I picked Mina and this serial killer that I had written about in, like, freshman year of college, and I was like, all right, I'm going to throw these two characters at each other and see what happens, uh, and that story ended up being a lot better than the uh, writing exercise I intended it to be, or at least, you know, for, for I think so. Uh, and turned into Hungover and Handcuffed, which is the first story in the first Mina book, which is a collection of stories, which is titled Hungover and Handcuffed. But uh, the the kind of character she had evolved into uh, really gripped me as this sort of gender-flipped Philip Marlowe, um, where she's got this kind of cultured background that she largely ignores. And she's sort of resigned herself to this life of, you know, living in the gutter and the shadows and, you know, matching wits with the of the earth um, because she's kind of feels like she's too screwed up to have a normal life and doesn't particularly want one and for whatever reason that spoke to me and that sort of led to the uh you know that i wouldn't call it a theme but something that pervades the mina series is the idea of just inverting as many of the noir tropes as possible so yeah the hard-boiled pi is a you know is a woman but also the friend on the force is a woman and the sexy mysterious stranger that can't be trusted is a guy and I've become a little bit less religious about that as the series has progressed because you know any, any absolutism becomes limiting. But it was a really fun thing to start with, and it got me really excited about her and the world she lives in, and uh, now I'm stuck with her.
0: So how would you describe her? Who, who is she in terms of uh, personality?
1: She is abrasive. She is deeply unpleasant. And that was the other thing is uh, I, I am passionate about the idea that, A, your protagonist doesn't need to be likable. And especially in fiction, there's this, this idea of likable women that I've never latched onto. Most people who read this book will like Mina from afar. You would never want to spend an afternoon with her. She's a, <laughs> she, she's a miserable prick. She's down on herself. She's down on everybody else. She's drunk all the time. Her hygiene is dubious at best. You know, she, she unironically wears a fedora sometimes. She's unpleasant. But she has this, I, I guess I'd call it spiteful moralism it's not even that she really believes in right and wrong so much as she just really wants to stick it to the guys who are worse than she is. (laughs) And this, this, this commitment to spite gives her perseverance and toughness and sometimes a little bit of creativity. She she approaches things oftentimes in the way that will annoy the villain the most, as opposed to the way that would most, you know, protect her or, you know, uh, benefit the case. Uh, she'd be a terrible cop, and her, her be- best friend and best influence is a, is a policewoman named Linda Lovelorn, who w- would be the first to tell you that Mina would be a terrible cop. Something I learned, I learned a lot about my audience from who's Yakuza Boyfriend, and there's some stuff that I was doing with Mina that I I could do more of, that the next book will do more of and lean more into. Um, one, one of the things that got Mina a little bit of press is that she's bisexual, uh, and that is something that doesn't get a ton of airtime in the earlier stuff. Um, in the short stories, there's not really room for a love interest. And while there is a female love interest in absolutely who's a boyfriend, obviously, as you can conclude from the title, the male love interest sort of takes center stage. Uh, but it turns out, you know, most of my audience is women and a fair percentage of that is queer women. And that's an audience that could stand to be better served by crime fiction in general. And certainly mm-hmm. by me, right. You know, you never want to be the guy who goes, oh yeah, she's bi cause it's hot." or and I think that there are characters like that, but you know, Mina's Mina's bisexuality is something that was with her in Dueling Cyrano's. And it's, it's, uh, something that's always been intrinsic to the character. And I just didn't focus on it and arguably should have in the first couple stories.
0: So you've got another Mina book coming out. Uh, what else is on the horizon?
1: So the book I'm trying to finish up now, uh, is called the fifth woman, which is a very mild nod to the third man, uh, which is one of my favorite old noir movies. Um, a uh, basic premise there is that this sort of mysterious international gangster, uh, Kenosha Vapno, brings together a very global group of of thieves and, and criminals, um, and they all happen to be women, uh, to rip off this very scary uh, crook named Logan King. And sort of the tension of the book is you've got these five very different personalities working together on this heist in this very limited window of time, and there's a lot of mistrust and it's very clear that something's off, but nobody's sure quite what and sort of building to what that is, which I won't give away here, but I'm really excited about it. Um, it's got multiple narrators, which is something that I've, I've done before, but never done in publication, but is something that I think is fun uh, and it's a good challenge and it's a good uh, exercise as a writer. And it's uh, I, I think uh, cause I'm of course objective about this is the best thing I've written yet. The, the problem I'm wrestling with now is that I had originally planned to traditionally publish this book, and I still might. Traditionally published books can be difficult to get through the process over a certain length, um, and who you talk to, that'll vary. Sometimes they'll tell you it's 90 or 100,000 words I've heard, as well as 80,000 for crime is really the sweet spot. And this one's right now 117. I think I could probably get it down to 105, 102 without gutting it. But I, I don't know that I like the version of the book that's 90,000 words, right? So I, I might end up self pubbing this one, even though I had originally not planned to. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of the editorial process left before I got to make that call.
0: Um, well, Nick, I'm glad that you made it on the show. I, uh, we've been planning it for uh, darn near a year now. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Nick, and we'll see you soon.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me, Frank.
0: Well, there you are, folks. Uh, now you know Nick Feldman better than you did before. Fun guy to talk to. Uh, great at the conferences. Next episode, we're going to talk to Paul Katz, who has written a novel called Disorder that I will let him describe in our next episode. Uh, but that's next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Quick Zafiro update for you. My second Spo Compton novel, In the Cut, just came out on the 27th of January, and it is available from Down and Out Books. If you like Dark and Gritty, that is this book. It's part of my Spoke Compton series, which tells its stories through the eyes of those who are on the wrong side of the thin blue line. Uh, in this case, it's a man named Boone who is prospecting for a motorcycle game. And I'll let you discover the rest on your own. So uh, that's available now from Down Out Books. Paul Katz on our next episode. I want to say thanks to Nick for coming on the show, Down Out Books for being a great sponsor, and you my constant listener for uh, firing up this podcast and for listening to me and uh, someone more interesting than me jabber on about crime fiction and life in general. Uh, Until next time, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.